for most of us, in fact, I'll say all of us, uh, we at times fail. There are times in our life when we want to be like Christ, and we can't. We want to be like Jesus. We want to inhabit the things that God cares about, and our own selfishness gets in the way. Uh, who we are and what we think is important to us become more important than what the gospel tells us about. So today we're going to uh, come at this from a little bit of a uh, bizarre angle. Uh, for many of you, you call yourselves uh, uh, optimists. I call myself a realist. Um, you would call me a pessimist. Uh, but I call myself a realist. And uh, so I want to come at this from a position of uh, we are attempting uh, to become like Christ. We are trying to form and shape ourselves into the person of Jesus. And yet there are times that we struggle. And there are times that we fail. And yet, I'm going to make the case that this family is still worth joining. That becoming more and more like Jesus is what each of us desires, and it's what each of us is striving for. So uh, I'll tell you when I was a kid, uh, and it's important that you know uh, I was really a kid. I was like seven years old. Uh, I decided uh, that I didn't really like my family that much. Uh, I decided that I would be better off on my own, uh, that whatever they were doing at the time, I can't even remember what it was, but I decided uh, that I could do this thing better than, than we can as a family. And so I decided to do what any uh, small child might decide to do at that time in their life. I decided to run away. Uh, anybody here ever decided to run away from home before? Okay, don't, don't jump to raise your hands. Uh, uh, maybe your parents are here. Maybe the whole Snowball family is here. Uh, but uh, I decided to run away. And I decided I was going to be better off on my own. And uh, I knew that whatever my family had done to upset me, to, to make me mad, uh, that I could be better on my own. And so I uh, I had seen the cartoons. You know, I knew what it looked like to, to run away. And so I grabbed my bundle, uh, and I packed it up, and I slung it over my shoulder, and out the door I went. Uh, the only problem was that I had no idea where I was going. Uh, I got out my front door and I thought, okay, uh, a lot of options here. Uh, I'm gonna go this way. And I turned and I walked this way and uh, uh, my, the way my house was set up, the, the front door uh, had uh, this, it was on the opposite side of the house and there was a section that was kind of secluded. And so I went over there because I was like, well, I don't want anybody to, like, in my family to see that I'm trying to run away while I'm trying to figure out where to go. And so I went and hid. Uh, and I just kind of sat down for a second. I was thinking, where am I going to go? Uh, I was probably thinking, who's going to take care of me? Because I couldn't do this on my own. Uh, and I was just thinking, what am I going to do? And wouldn't you believe it, uh, at that exact moment, uh, around the corner walks my dad. Uh, he's doing some yard work, and, and he walks around the corner, and he looks at me sitting on the ground in the dirt. And he goes, what are you doing? Let's walk right away. So it doesn't look like it. It looks like you're sitting in the dirt. <laughs> Why do I tell you that story? That's a fun story. Uh, but uh, I tell you that story because there are moments, uh, aren't there? There are moments when each of us feels like running away. Uh, there are moments when each of us feels like we could do better on our own uh, than we could with the people that are around us. There are moments that maybe somebody uh, who's a part of your family can infuriate you. Uh, they just make you so mad. Or when they say that one thing that they know is going to set you off, and, uh, and you get into this whole debate, this whole argument. And there are just times that are difficult in families, aren't there? Uh, and maybe you decide, the best thing that I can do in this moment is to run away, is to go and do this on my own. In fact, this is what the story of the prodigal sons is all about, isn't it? Uh, in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus tells a story about this father who's got two sons, and both of these sons are lost, even though they, neither of them know it. Uh, and so one of them runs away from home and spends his inheritance and uh, just wastes it all, uh, and has to come back home and, and beg his dad to take it back. And the other son stays at home, and he has uh, no idea how much the father loves him. He thinks he's slaving for his father, uh, and yet all this time the father loved him and would have given him anything. In fact, his entire house, it was, it was his. He wanted to pass it on to him. And both of these sons are lost. And Jesus tells the story of his father who has to, to go to, the, to both of his sons, has to seek them out and say, you are my child. 
you would love me. See, this is what the family of God is all about. Because there are times when we are going to disappoint each other. There are times when we're going to infuriate each other, when we're going to make each other mad. And yet we have a father who walks around the corner and tells us it really doesn't look like we're running away. It looks like we're just sitting in the dirt. And to come back and be a part of the family. So, uh, today, uh, as we get talking, as we continue talking about what it means to be family, and especially in our moments of weakness, and especially in our moments when we struggle, I want us to turn and look at a passage in Colossians chapter 2, and if you've got a Bible, I invite you to turn over there with me. Uh, we're going to read from Colossians chapter 2 in just a minute. Uh, but the thing that I love about uh, this story, uh, the, the story of, of a family who come together through Jesus, uh, through our Father, God, uh, the, the thing that I love about the story is that this is a story for each of us. Uh, whether you are a part of the family right now or not, whether you are somebody who likes your family or not, whether you're somebody who likes this family or not, this is a story that's for you. This is a God who has chosen you and who has sought you. The Christian story is the story of a God who comes near, a God who comes to us, a God who does the work for us because we know we can't do it on our own. And so Paul, when we get to Colossians in chapter 2, he's going to be writing to this church in Colossae. They have a, a very diverse group of people in this congregation. In fact, most of the New Testament is dealing with uh, very diverse groups of people who think differently, who act differently, who behave differently. Uh, people like you and I, people who are just different from one another. Uh, and the New Testament is addressing how do all of these people come together as a family? How do we know that we are God's children? And so uh, when Paul writes to this church in Colossae, he writes these words in chapter 2, starting in verse 6 of Colossians. So live in Christ Jesus the Lord in the same way as you received him. Be rooted and built up in him. Be established in faith and overflow with thanksgiving just as you were taught. See to it that nobody enslaves you with philosophy and foolish deception, which conform to human traditions and the way the world thinks and acts rather than Christ. For all the fullness of deity lives in Christ's body. And you have been filled by him who is the head of every ruler and authority. You were also circumcised by him. This wasn't performed by human hands. The whole body was removed through this circumcision by Christ. You were buried with him through baptism and raised with him through faith in the power of God who raised him from the dead. When you were dead because of the things that you had done wrong and because your body wasn't circumcised, Christ, God made you alive with Christ and forgave all the things that you had done wrong. He destroyed the record of the dead that we owed with its requirements that worked against us. He canceled it by nailing it to the cross. And when he disarmed the rulers and authorities, he exposed them to public disgrace by leading them in a triumphal parade. Okay, so let me uh, point out a couple of things about this passage uh, to us. Uh, this passage, I said, is written to a very diverse group of people. Uh, in this church, you've got Jews, you've got Gentiles, you've got people who are rich and poor, you've got people uh, all across every spectrum. Uh, and Paul writes this to this group of people, and he especially wants us to see that the way of Jesus, this family of God, uh, is different from anything they've ever been a part of uh, and so he's especially going to draw on a couple of different things to say this, this family, the, the people that God is making you into, is not like even the Jewish people. It's not like even the way that the Romans understand the way the world works. Uh, and so he, in fact, calls these groups of people out in a couple of different ways. Uh, he calls out the Jewish people uh, in two different ways. There's, uh, the first one is kind of uh, it's hard for us to understand, hard for us to see. Uh, and, and trust me, I'm no Greek student, uh, although I did take Greek. Uh, but this was an interesting thing that I learned this week. Uh, when Paul writes this word, uh, you are enslaved. The word for enslaved is the word syllogogon. It's kind of a fun word to say. Can I hear you say syllogogon? Was that fun? Did you have fun saying it? I have fun saying it. I have fun listening to you say it. Uh, it's this Greek word syllogogon, and it means to enslave. 
Uh, and what's really interesting about the word syllogogon uh, is that it looks a lot and sounds a lot like the Jewish, uh, like, the, like the word for, for the Jewish synagogue, synagogue, syllogogon, synagogon. Uh, and so Paul visually is, is drawing attention to this, that the synagogue is actually something that enslaves people. And this was really important because he's writing to a group of people uh, who have Jews present amongst them. Uh, and this group of people uh, perhaps think that in order to follow Christ, you need to be Jewish. And Paul says, the way of the Jewish synagogue, that's slavery. You are free in Christ. You've been made free because of the sacrifice of Jesus. So he, he calls them out by, by saying that, but he also calls them out by talking about the true circumcision. Uh, for the Jewish people to be circumcised, they think you were set apart. That God specifically had chosen you and called you to something. Uh, and he says the true circumcision is not simply uh, merely cutting off a piece of flesh. The true circumcision is what Christ has done for all of us. And it's, in fact, it's the cutting away of everything from our past. It's the cutting away of all of who we were and becoming a new creation in Jesus. So Paul doesn't only call out the Jewish people, although he does. He also calls out uh, the Gentiles. He calls out the people who understand the way the world works, just like the Romans do. Uh, he says, all the fullness of deity dwells in Jesus. All the fullness of deity dwells in Jesus. And this was especially important because uh, for the Romans, uh, to, be, uh, uh, to be divine meant that you were like the emperor. Uh, in fact, around the time of Jesus, they started calling the emperor son of God. Because they believed that the current emperor was the son of a, a former emperor who had now become divine. At the time of the, the, the first emperor's death, that that emperor became a god. And so the son of God was the current emperor. And Paul is drawing attention to this point. That's not that. That all the fullness of deity doesn't dwell in some emperor who has come and gone. All the fullness of dwelling is in Christ. It's in Christ alone. Paul is drawing our attention to the fact that we are a new people, that we are created in a new way, and that it's unlike any other group of people before this. Perhaps for us, the difficult thing to understand is, is the way that this is still working in our own world today. Perhaps the, the difficult thing is for us to understand that, that what Paul and what Jesus want us to understand about the family of God is that the family of God is unlike any other group of people, even today. The family of God is unlike even our own families. We talked about that during our Bible class this morning. Uh, when Jesus says that to, to follow him is to leave your mother and your, your father and your brothers and your sisters behind. To follow Jesus is to become a part of a new family, a new group of people, a people who are formed and shaped into the likeness of Jesus. Here's the difficult thing, church, this morning. Is we can, we can say this. We can believe this. We can talk about how we are family together. We can talk about the ways that we seek to become like Christ. We will over the next few weeks. But the difficult thing for us, a lot of the time, is that when we talk about this, we often add something else to it. For the Jewish people, they added to the fact that you had to be Jewish. Maybe for the Gentiles, they added to the, to the fact of who, of who God is and what family we're a part of. The fact that you have to understand the way that the world works. And for us, maybe the things that we add to it are things like trying to be good people. By trying to do the right thing. Maybe the thing that we add to what it means to be a part of the family of God is that you have to understand and believe things the same way that we do. Maybe the way that we think that the family of God works is that in order to become a part of God's family, you have to say and do the right things. In church, the family of God is much, much larger than that. It's much, much better than that. 
in Colossians chapter 2, verse 13, one of the verses we just read. It says, when you were dead because of the things that you had done wrong, because your body wasn't circumcised, God made you alive with Christ and forgave all the things that you had done wrong. What Paul does here is he assumes that we have done something wrong. He assumes that at some point we have messed up. We've sinned. We've separated ourselves from one another and from God. And this is so important to me because so often what I see Christians do in the name of Christ separating and calling others out and saying, you're not part of the band. All the while, Jesus is trying to help, help us understand that none of us deserve to be part of the family. And God invites us in anyways. That's the story of the gospel. None of us deserve to be part of the family. And God invites us to the table anyways. I really like the way that uh, Will Willimon, one of the uh, preachers and the prolific writers of our day, says this. He says, Jesus commands us neither to agree with each other, nor just get along with each other, or even to tolerate each other. Christ's people must love as deeply and broadly as Christ loves us. This is what it means to be family, church. There are going to be times when your family makes you mad. There are going to be times when your family makes you confused. There are going to be times when your family makes you think that you can do this thing better on your own than you can together. And the love of Christ challenges us at every point and says, be like me. Seek those who don't deserve to be a part of the family and invite them in anyways. Because that's what God has done for us. Another preacher, Sean Palmer, uh, in our own tribe, says it this way. He says, healing and reconciliation is what it means to be the church. To share communion. Healing and reconciliation is what Jesus intended our gatherings to be and to produce. The differences, the tensions, the partisanship, the space between us create the opportunity for God to transform hearts from what they are not to what God created them to be. This is what it means to be family. To be brought together with people who are different than we are. Who have different interests, different lives, who think differently, who act differently, who dress differently, who, who might even do things differently than we ever would. And yet God brings us together as a family to forgive as he forgave to love as he loved, to offer peace to the world as he did, and to try to heal our hearts and our land, even to share in common all that we have. Church, what it means to be the family of God means that we are becoming like the God who chose to become like us so that we can become like him. Did you catch that? What it means to be family is to become like Jesus who chose to become like us so that we can become like him. Jesus went the distance. Jesus comes to us and offers us the invitation and says, you are in the family. Know for the next couple of weeks, we're going to talk about the ways that we are formed and shaped, the things that we can do to help ourselves connect with God and with one another as a family. Church, we are a family. We are united if all that we have in common is Jesus, it's enough. Here in just a few moments, we're going to continue worshiping together. And as we do, our elders are going to gather around the room. If you'd like to spend some time in prayer with them, I invite you to do that. Uh, if you'd like to uh, pray with them especially about ways that we can become united as a family, continue to become united as a family, I invite you to pray for that. If you've got needs, uh, physical, spiritual needs, I invite you to pray with them as well. And if you want to know what it means to become a part of this family at your baptism, I'd love to visit with you. I'll be down here in the front as we stand, as we worship together.